Welcome to the third episode of A Decade of Private Debt. As PEI Group's magazine Private Debt Investor celebrates its 10-year anniversary, we're looking back at the insights, stories, and pivotal moments that have shaped the private debt landscape over the past decade. In the six-part mini-series, we're bringing you an exclusive dive into the minds of industry leaders and key players, exploring the challenges, triumphs, and the evolving dynamics that have defined the world of private debt. If you want to hear the entire mini-series right now, you can subscribe to PEI Group's newest audio offering, the Private Debt Investor Podcast, by searching wherever you like to listen or by clicking the link below in the description. Then after this mini-series, you'll continue to get industry-leading insights into the world of private debt from PDI's team of reporters and analysts and from some of the asset class's leading figures. Don't forget to also download Private Debt Investors Decade Issue for more insight on how the industry has evolved over the last 10 years, which you can find at privatedebtinvestor.com or at the link in the description. In this episode, PDI's senior editor Andy Thompson is in the studio with Julien Rigon, Cartesia's head of France. Rigon reflects on the past decade from an ESG perspective, as well as gives insight into how the industry will evolve considering today's sustainability agenda. Julian, I'm delighted you could uh, join us today for this discussion. Obviously, on Private Debt Investor, we're looking back, as we have done in previous episodes, over the last 10 years. You've been you know, right at the centre, right at the heart of Cartesia's private debt activities in, in Europe, in the mid-market. I thought maybe a, an interesting starting point, because it's one of the areas that Cartesia is closely associated with, is ESG. So perhaps you could talk us through the last 10 years from an ESG perspective in terms of Cartesia's own experiences, you know, when it first started really engaging strongly with the ESG theme and what sort of products and approaches you've developed along the way. Sure, with pleasure. Uh, thank you very much for having me. I would say that actually I'm not old enough not to know the industry to take care of the ESG aspect of our work. And actually, if you look back, a number of initiatives were taken 15, 20 years ago, but on a very nascent, I would say, characteristic. UNPRI, for instance, which is one of the cornerstone of, I believe, a relevant ESG approach, was set up in 2005. And even at the same time, you could believe that anything coming to exclusion of some industries was also part of our consciousness that ESG was something that we had to take care of. Now, the reality is that for sure, there's been a very fast acceleration of that trend. There were numerous uh, reasons for that. I believe the first one is that, and it's quite cynical, but uh, I believe it's still a good thing, LPs uh, have started to put a lot of pressure on those topics because it became clearly a, a society issue. And it's very wrong to believe that we are out of society. We're actually deep into it. So with that pressure, you could either, uh, I would say, take a proactive approach, which was our case, or eventually get forced into it. But whatever happens today in 2023, it's something that you have to take care of and something that you have to be uh, quite an expert about. So today, I would believe that ESG is not something that is disputed anymore, not only as an investment criteria, but also as a general GP policy and also in terms of managing a portfolio. It's everywhere and you need to have the right platform and the right tools and the right people to take care of that aspect within all of our, I would say, actions uh, across the, uh, the economy. When you look into it a bit deeper, ESG is first something that is very deep embedded into any due diligence aspect 
when you look into a new company and you try to understand its merits. I would say that today ESG is probably as important as financials because it's definitely something that will also have an impact on the future value of the business. So it would be, um, I would say, uh, kind of crazy not to take this into account whenever you look into uh, any new situation. Uh, but I would say that more importantly, I think that where we can have an impact as investors, because again, we know that we have a weight within the general economy and societies, is how we accompany our portfolio companies into that trend. Because actually, a lot of our portfolio companies are still poorly knowledgeable about this. And I think that over the past two or three years, private equity investors and private debt investors have been a very strong sparring partner for those companies to take action and not only to know where they stand in terms of ESG factors, but also to improve them. And our work, at least uh, at Cartesia, has been very much geared towards making sure that our portfolio companies were going into the right direction across all of the ESG aspects. And we'll probably come back to that because it's not something that is a monolithical aspect. It's really something that is very granular. Uh, but we try to make sure that we can cover the whole aspect of ESG to ensure that our portfolio companies are, are very much uh, aligned uh, with our own objectives. Yeah, and it's interesting that you said about private equity and private debt sparring and implication being sort of equal sparring partners, because, you know, I can remember a time when, you know, there was discussion around private debt essentially being in, in the back seat and this recognition that private equity was in the front seat and had more of a sort of onus to take charge of operational issues like ESG. I think those days are probably long gone. And I think they, those days started to be long gone when people started to hone the the sustainability-linked loan. You know, perhaps you could talk a little bit about your own approaches because I know you were very much in the forefront of that. There's also talk, of course, about how you ensure that the conditions that you impose on borrowers are sufficiently rigorous because, after all, there is there has been some scepticism around that. Uh, it's a very good point, and uh, I believe that one of the maturing aspects of ESG consideration has been what you were referring to as a sustainability-linked loans. But again... I'm very careful to make sure that there is not a distinction on ESG attention between anything that is sustainably linked from a documentary perspective and what is not. Because even what is not is quite important to make sure that you are still taking care uh, of this aspect of any business. Now, when it comes to uh, sustainability linked loans, it's probably the best way to incentivize, I would say, companies to walk the walk. And from this respect, on our end, we've launched a dedicated debt vehicle called Cartesia Impact Fund that we have already invested uh, across several European countries. And where you do have, first of all, a very precise audit of the companies in which we invest in. It's an Article 9 fund. So we'll probably come back to the methodology of uh, categorizing various uh, vehicles. But in our mind, it goes beyond any categorization. It's a real impact approach. Uh, so you have to make sure that the companies in which you invest in with this type of vehicle are not only going to have day one a very strong and positive impact on specific ESG items. And we make sure that we select the ones that are most relevant towards the business. And second, that on those items, we are going to continue to accompany the company into improving those items and making sure that they reach gold standards when it comes to their impact on, on society. So it's something that we are very proud of. We are one actually of the first debt funds to launch such type of product. And the reality is that it's very cross-fertilizing across the whole platform. Because the reason why we launched that vehicle is that because since, I mean, we've, we are only 10 years old, uh, and actually, after two years of operations, we uh, onboarded uh, an ESG director. 
who has been working uh, very hard into making sure that Cartesia was actually at the forefront of ESG considerations across the debt landscape. And we are probably one of the ones that pushed ESG consideration into private debt and not only lean onto private equity sponsors to push that agenda. And she led actually the setup of, uh, of this vehicle, making sure that we had the right analysis, the right levers, and the right, uh, I would say, uh, reading criteria to make sure that we invested into the right companies at the right time with the right strategy. But thanks to that vehicle, we've actually been able to also cross-fertilize into our other type of vehicles. And now I would say that even though our other investment vehicles are Article 8, we also have a very stringent ESG approach on any portfolio. Uh, and so that's something that also enables us to have an impact on all of our companies in which we, are, we have invested. When you look at other actors into the sustainability-linked environment, I would say that the most active ones, and here I'm going to be a bit more specific about the French market, uh, which is the one I am responsible for at Cartesia, uh, you can actually see banks uh, very much pushing onto that front. Again, I think that the reason why they are doing so is because they have a very strong shareholders pressure to stop investing into oil and gas companies or exploration projects and stuff like that. And so they are trying to push further their agenda into providing loans to companies that actually have that positive ESG impact. And so the French market nowadays sees a lot of financings that have a sustainably linked margin decrease, depending on reaching certain criteria. And they are also very frisky on companies that are not able to go into that direction and very bullish on the ones that are. And so what you see is a very strong discrimination in the general lending appetite. And it's also relevant for the private debt industry, for companies that are going to go into the right, the right direction versus the companies which are either on a poorly assessed from an ESG perspective industries uh, or the companies which do not really want to go into the direction for various reasons. That discrimination in the market is more and more uh, acute, I would say, nowadays. Uh, and I believe this is also the impact of investors such as ourselves or the local banks, if I take the French market example, which is driving uh, the companies into that sense. Mm. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. Uh, you mentioned Article 9 funds and, you know, having an Article 9 fund, having an impact fund obviously positions you very much at the cutting edge, I suppose, of the ESG movement within private debt. One of our conferences recently, we had a representative from the European Investment Bank who was talking about the steady, probably fairly slow development of Article 9 in, in private debt at the moment. There's not many people offering these kinds of funds. And of course, you know, we have seen some pushback as well. Some people would argue for political reasons in the US. Mm -hmm. And of course, you know, there's various pressures on companies, on borrowers, which arguably make it more difficult for them to prioritize ESG considerations. What's your thoughts on, you know, where we sort of go next with this? Do you expect things like Article 9 funds to continue to push ESG forward within private debt? Or do you expect to see some kind of hiatus whilst people kind of assess where we are at the moment mm. before wanting to move forward? Mm. My take is that 30 years from now, what we call currently Article 9 is going to be all vehicles into the investable uh, environment. So I, I do believe that, and in spite of the US territory pushback that you can see, uh, and that we'll also probably discuss afterwards, it's something that you cannot dispute anymore and something that has somehow to be addressed. There's been lately challenges around Article 8, Article 9, and how exactly that taxonomy is pushed forward. It's probably to be improved. Again, it's very early days still in the way investors approach ESG not in a marketing fashion, but in a deeply rooted impact fashion. 
And so there may be some, not difficulties, I would say, but some discrimination across the environment between investors that are effectively at Tier 9 or whatever you want to name it, but are effectively pushing strong ESG agendas onto strong ESG-driven companies. And the ones that have taken that opportunity to push a vehicle which was stated to be Article 9 typically, but was not really, uh, I would say, uh, driving uh, anything specific into uh, ESG elements. So there is going to be some, um, some hiatus, like you said. But my conviction is that we have laid down the principles of how we believe, at least again at Cartesia, the ESG agenda should be pushed in Europe. How we are going to exactly articulate it, define it, and push it is still probably going to evolve, but the direction is clear. And now it's a matter of finding the right levers to make sure that us as investors, whenever we say we talk about impact, we do impact and not just talk about it. Okay, um, moving on to sort of the market in general. In Europe, we've seen some very interesting developments, of course, uh, during those 10 years that we're covering. So, you know, there have been global developments like the pandemic, for example, there have been Europe-specific issues. Brexit obviously comes to mind. I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on how the European private debt mid-market has responded to these developments and how they have helped to shape the market as a key player yourselves. It's a very interesting question because I believe that even though the private debt uh, market can be considered still as nascent to a certain extent, we've gone through numerous cycles and numerous events that have tested the model somehow. Uh, and the reason why actually uh, nowadays, for various reasons, the private debt asset class is quite hot towards LPs and towards the, the general uh, return environment is also because we've been tested. So if you take a look at the track record of events that may have shaken a bit uh, the economic industry, private debt has shown several merits. The first is that you could see, and again, this is a general comment, you may have some uh, counterexamples left and right, but you could see that actually those private debt investors over the past 10 years, the right ones, I would say, uh, have been a very proactive type of investor. And coming back to the comment you made earlier regarding where the stewardship of a company comes from, whether from a sponsor or a lender, uh, you could actually see that private debt lenders have been very much involved into the companies they've invested in and not involved in a bad way, uh, in the sense that they can be uh, a bit annoying or trying to be uh, more uh, reluctant to help uh, than protect their own interest, but very much supporting the companies in which they've invested in. So again, if you look at COVID crisis, uh, when there were some issues around the liquidity level of the companies, uh, of the portfolios, their expected performance, the general state, I would say. Again, us at Cartesia, we very fast reacted, uh, setting up weekly calls with uh, the CEOs of the companies and the sponsors, making sure that they had the right liquidity level. When they did not, making sure that uh, we could be potentially bringing up options for them to ensure the viability of the business models across that period. And so that capacity to react and be very much business driven uh, I believe has also been able a very strong factor, not only towards the companies we've invested in, but also towards our LPs. Because bottom line, when you look again at the COVID crisis, it's been a dip and uh, actually the recovery came through. But through that dip, you had to be here because otherwise they would have had nothing to recover. And our capacity to support those companies through that trough and uh, see the light at the end of the tunnel also enabled us to make sure that we protected our own interest uh, and make sure that our investments were managed the right way. So I do believe that 
our capacity to go through all those different storms. And you named Brexit, which was another one. You had the Ukrainian war that uh, also tested uh, a number of uh, business models and portfolio companies. Through those items, you could see that private investors were quite active and proactive into making sure that not only their interests were protected, but also they had a positive impact, uh, again, coming back to it, on the companies in which we invested in. Yeah, and it's an interesting point about the various challenges that there have been for the market, because I guess it, it's almost a bit of a trope that people sometimes use to say that, you know, private debt has had, you know, a kind of fortuitous period where it's had largely experienced largely tailwinds. And I had a conversation for another episode of this series with Mike Arrighetti at Ares. And, you know, he was making the point that actually, as you just did, that actually there have been a series of challenges and private debt seems to have emerged from these pretty well. So probably not really fair to say it's just been constant tailwinds. <laughs> But sort of bringing us up to date now, here's a whole new set of challenges. So I, I wondered if we could go into that a little bit. Obviously, you know, these are things that everybody is familiar with by now in terms of rising in the inflation situation that had to be dealt with, rising interest rates, people's expectation that rates will stay higher for longer, the pressures that this puts on borrowers. And then on the other side of the coin, you have what a lot of people are seeing, certainly in parts of the market, as kind of optimal investing circumstances. So I just wonder how you see the current sort of pretty complex and varying market conditions that you're operating in. I would say that discipline comes first. And this has been the case, like we've just said, across the past 10 years. And the next five or 10 are also going to be very heavily geared towards how disciplined uh, an investor you are. What I think is that today, private debt investors have, have probably the best ship into a very large storm. First of all, in terms of economic environment, it's true that looking forward is probably worse than backwards, or at least there are more identified challenges that are going to come up and put business models through the test. Uh, you've mentioned inflation. Now we are probably going to go into a, a more attuned growth environment. Uh, we are going also to see some issues around the ecological transition, uh, which is going to be uh, heavy, I would say, in terms of investments for a number of business models. So there are going to be some challenges. The reason why I believe that private debt investors are well prepared for that period is that, first of all, the discipline that we have enables us also to be much more focused on making sure that we select the right transactions under the right conditions. And maybe compared to probably two years ago, which were the, the champagne years following COVID, when I believe on a personal basis that some transactions were a bit aggressive on economics, on terms, on structures, on business models as well. I feel like today you are coming back to a more disciplined approach and to a very strong discrimination between the good assets and the bad ones. And so what you see nowadays in the private equity environment is the same in the private debt environment. The good assets are still going to be able to find financing. They are going to be able to find prospects for growth, for external acquisitions, uh, for investments. But the bad ones are going to be stuck, uh, I believe. And our job as an investor uh, in private debt, just as in private equity, is making sure that we continue to select the right companies to make sure that we have the healthy portfolio that we want to have and that we have the uh, growth prospects that we want to have as well. So I would believe that right now it's really a matter of the discipline you have in terms of uh, analyzing uh, your companies, making sure that the structures are uh, well built. You've mentioned the fact that the interest rates hike are uh, very heavy into the cash flows of companies. And this also is relevant towards more moderate leverage levels and a more prudent approach toward growth prospects in terms of projections. But all in all, 
you can still find a number of opportunities across all markets. And actually, the GPs in the private industry, such as ourselves over the past 10 years, we've built the right networks, we've built the right positions, we've built the right industry knowledge to make sure that within this general metric environment, uh, we continue to be able to select the right opportunities uh, because these are the ones that are still going to perform uh, because you still have some gross prospects in a number of uh, specific segments and specific themes. Thank you. And perhaps finally, um, we've talked about you know your experience in being part of the development of evolution of ESG, your experience that you've had through various different challenges, be that COVID or Brexit or current circumstances. So a lot of experience you personally, also within your organization, looking at the European mid-market as it currently is, what would be the, the perhaps the one piece of advice that you would impart to people in terms of how best you might operate hmm. today as a, as a European mid-market private debt firm? Well, if I'm allowed, I'm going to give two. Okay, um, <laughs> I'll allow you. <laughs> so I think the first thing to understand about Europe, and I'm talking here about the global investor base, is that Europe is actually a very granular market. So you tend to talk about the US market uh, on the one end and the European one on the other end, but actually it's the US market. And then you have the French market, the German market, the Spanish market. And so you really need to look into the very specificities of each of those geographies because they are going to have very different macro environments, very different competition environments, very different banking behavior when it comes to the competition between private debt investors and banks. So this is going to be making very different situations from one country to the other, from one month to the other. And so your capacity to have, like our case, local presence across those geographies. Uh, on our end, we have local offices in France, in Spain, in Germany, in the UK, in Belgium, in the Netherlands, in Italy. And each of those countries, each of those offices cover those countries, have the local knowledge, have the local understanding of the dynamics, uh, have built uh, their own capacity to source the right assets under the right angles. Uh, and so it's more and more difficult, I would say, to typically do the discrimination I was referring to before when you are covering all those countries from a single place. And so I believe that having boots on the ground and being able to be very close to the companies you invest in is even more key than it was ever before. So I would say this is probably the first piece of advice, if I would say, regarding uh, private debt investment going forward. The second is to be creative, which does not mean that you need to do uh, clown stuff, <laughs> uh, but more in the sense that you need to go deeper into the structure that you can offer. You need to go deeper into the type of solutions that you can lay out uh, when it comes not only into structuring, but also in the way you can shape uh, the business plan with the management teams and the sponsors. Because like you said, the challenges we have right now require to be flexible and to be able also to have the right level of control over the situations. So on our end, uh, it's true that we are quite known through our various uh, local presences to offer very structured solutions because between the dislocation between buyers and sellers in the M&A market uh, and also the fact that the general economic business models are maybe a bit more challenged going forward, you have to offer this type of structures and instruments that are going to be built like a Lego, if I may, to make sure that you have something that is going to be stable, reliable, and that will eventually provide for the returns that, uh, that we are aiming for. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for sharing your insights. It's been extremely interesting to listen to. So thank you very much for that. 
That again was Cartesia's Head of France, Julien Rigon, and PDI's Senior Editor, Andy Thompson. Make sure to hit the link in the description to check out PDI's Decade Issue at privatedinvestor.com for more insight on how the industry has evolved over the last 10 years. And if you want to listen to the rest of this mini-series right now and continue to get great insights on the private credit market afterwards, subscribe to the Private Debt Investor podcast wherever you like to listen or click the link in the description. In the next episode, Andy will sit down with Pemberton co-founder and managing partner Simon Drake Brockman to discuss his reflections on the past decade. This episode was produced by me, Nina Tumai, and edited by Eric Fish. Thanks for listening.